Welcome to Coffee and Change, a podcast where we talk about change in our lives, our work, and our world, and how we're managing it. On this episode, we interview Jennifer Koshin, a solution architect in the technology industry. Jennifer has been supporting ERP and HR transformations for nearly 25 years. And in my discussions, we talk about the amount of change that's happened over two decades plus, as well as what's coming in the future. Enjoy the discussion. So my name is Jennifer Koshin, and I'm a solution architect in the technology industry. And I have been working on ERP, HR transformation projects, um, for about almost 25 years now. Um, it'll be about 24 years next year. Um, I started out in the client, uh, in the client space, in a technology role. Implementing the first system was um, PeopleSoft. And um, throughout my career, I wound up moving from various um, customer roles into consultant roles. I worked for PeopleSoft um, during the height of um, the PeopleSoft product and, and the, the company, and we were bought by Oracle, and I wound up working for Oracle. And now I work for a very large global technology firm with the Workday space. So um, I've been implementing, like I said, technology for 24 years in, in various roles all around HCM, payroll, ERP, and my roles have been functional, they've been technical, they've been project management and sales. So that about encapsulates my background. Wow, thank you, Jennifer. So I, I'd love to just dig in a little bit on um, just the, the history that you shared, going from PeopleSoft to Oracle all the way to, to Workday, which um, I believe, for those that are listening, Workday was founded by the same person that actually uh, – started PeopleSoft. Is that accurate? That's absolutely right. So um, I worked for the Northern Trust Company in Chicago, a bank, um, when I got out of college. And I actually was in a financial role. And I wound up getting on a technology project, and this was in the late 90s, um, as a tester for investment systems. And I really enjoyed it. And I decided, well, gee, you know, I, my undergraduate degree was economics. I thought, gee, maybe I can pursue computer science. So I went to night school for computer science. And coincidentally, after taking one computer science class, there was a job opening at Northern Trust um, for a PeopleSoft project to implement PeopleSoft, the HCM system. And it was, at that time, version 5 in the 90s. And um, that was my first technology job. And boy, PeopleSoft was different. Fundamentally, as a technology, as I was learning different languages and different products, both at school and at Northern Trust, what made PeopleSoft as a product unique was its open API. What does that mean? Application Programming Interface. Its tool set, it exposed its logic, it exposed its metadata layer, and I may be talking pretty technical here, so bear with me, but it allowed people learning the tool, what the underlying logic was of that tool. That is ultimately what made PeopleSoft unique and I think a viable product in the space because as it became something that customers implemented, customized, and extended, they were able to leverage some of the logic that was exposed in the various tools in the tool set. 
So, yes, started out in PeopleSoft, um, moved to a consulting job, and it's it's funny, um, my second job in PeopleSoft as a customer was working for a transportation services company, and I was on an upgrade project. And there was a PeopleSoft consultant at the time on that project, and he had said, you know what, you'd make a great consultant. And um, this was September this was right around September 2001, so a few months later, um, I actually got a job at PeopleSoft, got on the road, and became a consultant um, two months after September 11th, so in the height of where a lot of people didn't want to travel for their job out of what was happening to our nation, I took this risk to travel and um, you know, become a consultant, and it was, it was excellent. Um, I'll pause there, Bill, and I don't know what. Yeah, else talk, I mean, talk about a lot of a lot of change happening at one time. I'd be curious your your thoughts on, um, and I think we can dig into this probably through a couple of lenses. But the the change you went from being a customer to a consultant, um, and then maybe kind of the experience of of going back and forth and seeing that perspective. How was that shift for you? And and then if you can think about it even today. How does uh, having been a customer and then a consultant shape the way that you deliver consulting? Great, great question. So I would say the the biggest difference for me when I moved from being a customer to a consultant was the work. When you're in a customer role, even if you're in a role that's project-based, you still have downtime. You still have periods where you may be doing production support or downtime in your, in your job, or at least I did. When I became a consultant, the downtime went away. I moved from project to project to project, and I was constantly on and constantly learning. So I think that was the key difference that I experienced in that transition. How being a customer helped influence me as a consultant, I can, I can draw on my very early years in the financial industry when we would have to do things like reconcile accounts, and I worked with securities, and I had a lot of reporting, and we would have reams and reams of printed reports. Now, mind you, this was you know the early 90s, so I, hopefully there's not as much printing happening in the financial industry. But we would have reams and reams of reports, thousands of pages that we would look through, and of those thousands of pages that would print every day, I really only needed to analyze or look at information from a few of those pages. So, so what, is, what, what am I trying to get at here? That I learned early on as a user and as a client how important report writing was or having reports that meant something or making sure we ran reports when needed. So that all started to influence. This is just one example of how it started to influence and shape my thinking when I moved to become a consultant. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'd be curious also from the standpoint of, you know, the, the power of data. I mean, we talk about now and kind of ecosystems that we're all in. Data is the new oil. Data is the new currency. When you think about kind of the evolution of how data and the importance of data has changed over the course of those days of, you know, reports and reams to where we're at now, which is being able to, you know, filter data customize it, run analytics, get to decision-making faster, sooner. Um, 
what what are some of the most notable changes you've seen there? Um, and then probably, maybe if if you can, what changes are to come? Oh, great, great question. So I, I would say pe- the transition from you know PeopleSoft to Workday is a great example in that reporting truly becomes embedded in Workday. So the PeopleSoft products, maybe your EBS products, your Oracle EBS, SAP products, um, historically those legacy systems, reporting was still something you ran. So it was still generating a file. Workday, the reporting is embedded. So, so that is kind of highlighting a little bit of how data has changed our lives in that it's embedded now in everything we do and not something that we go to retrieve. So here's a great example, a personal example. Years ago growing up, you know, students would go to the library. They would take out books. They would use books to build research papers or to gain information. Now people go to the Internet. Now it's an app and it's right at your fingertips. So and it's and it's embedded in everything you do on your iPhone or on your iPad. So there's this notion that data has crept into, you know, kind of our consciousness and our subconsciousness in a way that historically we would go to retrieve data, now it's just a part of our everyday life. So Jennifer, being in the Workday ecosystem, um, I, I certainly read a lot about um, about uh, that company and all the people that are you know partnering with them, and even even this week, uh, Workday Rising is going on. What are some of the innovations in that ecosystem that that you're excited about that you're seeing, or what are some of the challenges that people are facing in that ecosystem as they as they take on kind of a new approach to HR payroll transformation and all that comes with it? So Workday, again, uh, cloud solution, pure cloud solution, Bill, not a, not a product or an ERP system that was a legacy um, database application. And in that, um, they're able to innovate much more rapidly than you might see in an SAP or an Oracle product. Um, when I think about one of the most exciting parts to um, some of the new innovations of Workday, I would say their Prism Analytics tool is the next level of integrating data into their Workday into their Workday environment and into the Workday space for customers. So what Prism, the future of Prism and what it'll allow customers to do is to take data maybe from a legacy ERP system or take data from a warehouse and integrate it into the Workday application in a way that looks seamless to the customer. So there's a lot more of embedding data in Workday, both from external sources as well as the application itself. And I think, to, to me, that's a very exciting part of the innovations of Workday because ultimately those, that embedded data leads to better, sharper, newer analytics. I would say some of the challenges um, as Workday grows and matures in the ecosystem is that the complexity evolves with the functionality. And, um, you know, for oftentimes for customers implementing, one of the biggest challenges is implementing integrations. Workday does deliver a whole set of suite of um, pre-configured tools for integrating, 
But at the end of the day, there are still customer requirements that are complex. There's still unique cloud, hybrid cloud configurations that um, make integration work uh, still a body of work on a project. So I would say that integrating the cloud solution with other clouds, with other applications and customers is still one of the challenges um, that, that Workday has now. And as they evolve and become more complex, um, will will still remain. Okay. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And I'm. I'd, I'd love to hear. Also. I mean. You mentioned obviously the work that you've done on projects as well. Um, and the importance. I think every workday project I've ever been on or around or possibly supported. I'm always excited to know that they've got a whole change component to it. Um, so is that is that still kind of what you're seeing that there's an aspect to it that. Um, I mean, I think in the Workday philosophy, they sort of lead with that growth mindset of always evolving and always changing. Is that still the case that you see a lot of projects where people have kind of that carved out, you know, set of talent helping support the change that comes along with the technical and the functional? Absolutely. In fact, um, what I think is different in digital change than it was historically in change management on, on prior legacy ERP implementations Digital change is rapid, it's evolving, and it's self-evaluating. So it's, not, it's no longer that these are the things we deliver in the various phases of change, stakeholder analysis, communications, et cetera. It's in each iteration as you move through the stages of a Workday project, how can we iterate or change on what we've learned in this stage? So it's much more fluid, much more dynamic. And then I think the other piece that's different new in digital change is the notion that we're trying to embed more cognitive um, or a, a cognitive layer into, into change in an implementation. So, for example, a change management, a digital change lead would be involved in figuring out ways to embed a bot, perhaps, a chat bot that will help with user adoption around the Workday product. So, I think more is being demanded of the change management consultant to um, embrace and understand the innovations of the technology. And then again, it's much more demanding in terms of the fact that it's a much more fluid and iterative um, change life cycle. That certainly, uh, that certainly excites me. I mean, I think back to when, when you and I, uh, you know, met and worked together years ago, I think one of the ideas we kicked around was, can't we just develop an app for change management that I think we were joking, but half serious around, isn't there something that we could have that would measure people's blood pressure and heart rates? And this is long before the Apple watch. I must, I must give us credit for this. But when we were talking about going up in front of groups of people and talking about the change that's coming, and we used to joke about it saying, yeah, if we could only measure the vitals of people in the room, we could understand whether they were excited or anxious or scared by the change that was coming. And now obviously we have the Apple Watch and I'm sure as I talk about it, I'm giving somebody the idea to go invent the app. So just give credit to me and Jennifer when you do, whoever that is. <laughs> but I think your point around the innovation, thinking about the implications of a chatbot, um, you know, robotics process automation, all of these things, artificial intelligence, machine learning, um, I'm excited kind of by that aspect because that to me is what distinguishes change practitioners. If they can get closer to understanding the, the power of the technology, then they can actually support it 
uh, no matter where it's deployed. You know, recently I read a survey bill on the internet about the growing professions for college students now. The demand for data science um, is is very real. The ability to really understand data, harness it, um, I think it, it's all part of our future in technology. And I think everyone on a project team, not just the change management, the program management office, all roles need to really um, embrace, you know, what these innovations are going to bring in terms of chatbots, reporting, artificial intelligence. So it's, it's, I, think, I think everybody will need to step their game up, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And part of kind of stepping, stepping the game up, and I'd love your thoughts on this, I started to ask people who are leaders in their space and in, in their work, um, how do you balance? How do you strike balance? How do you find balance? How do you rejuvenate? When, as you said, so much of this change is coming at us uh, faster than ever, our cycle times are shorter, our ability to reflect and, you know, kind of reintegrate things um, may be shortened just by this pace. When you think about the roles that you play, the people you lead, um, the customers you support, what are some of the tactics you use to strike a balance? You know, what it takes to be successful in adapting change and adapting technology is to kind of bring that human component back that you're not, everything that's to be learned and to be absorbed isn't going to come from the internet. It's going to come from the, the human interaction. And so what that ties into is the whole notion that now more than ever, it's, it's, import, more, it's the most important to have the human connection, to have the physical connection in our relations. So I don't know if that's anything that we can talk about in this conversation, but that's what I, that's, so here's an example. Many projects are remote, right? Well, what do we learn right. on a remote project? That you need to increase your communication. And you need to increase your communication on remote projects because you don't have that physical interaction. You don't have the eye contact. You can't pick up on nonverbal cues in a chat. So, it's, so the time you get to spend together on a project where maybe most of the time is remote, it's critical it's critical to do things like socialize off, off hours if you can. In, in this age of technology where many people are, where most people are getting their socialization from your screen, it's even more important now to step out of that world and have the human connection because those are learned things that we need as social creatures. I think that's I think that's perfect uh, to to say, and I would also kind of bring it back to the the whole HCM component, right? I think sometimes we forget the human component, the human capital. Um, we jump in and we start thinking about solutions, and we start thinking about tools and uh, policies. Um, but your point is very valid in the sense there are more screens between us than um, ever before. So if we can sort of step back and use those screens and use that technology with intention, I think we can get back to the power of, you know, transforming lives um, and the human, you know, the human component to human capital management um, or human resources even. So I think it's a very it, valid point. Absolutely. And, and enrich our learning, enrich our learning experience. Because again, it's one thing to read from a book or read off the internet, 
It's another thing to be physically present with someone learning. That's just a that's just a completely different learning experience, much more dynamic. Right, and even the example, you know, that you gave and other people have given about, hey, you know what? Let's spin up a WebEx and let's go through this together. Um, granted, it's screens between you, but you can do it in a very human way through learning and let's try and figure this out together. Um, which kind of brings me a little bit to sort of a, a final area just to chat about, which I'd be curious to get your thoughts on, you know, from a change standpoint and from a HCM and an HR aspect, I feel like we're kind of getting into new territory where all the textbooks that we had, all the tools that we were taught, I'm not saying they don't, that they're not applicable anymore. I'm just curious your thoughts, like, are we in a space now where much of what we've learned in the past maybe is not a hundred percent fit or is not as congruent? And frankly, we're in, we're in new territory and we're having to learn um, things where there's no, there's no answer key. So we've got to just figure it out together, be it with data or without data. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. I think traditionally people would, historically people learn from a person in a classroom setting. Now people are learning from YouTube. Learning is much more um, dynamic, much more latticed, um, and less, lin less of a linear experience. And that has its dangers because what we knew in learning in the classroom environment traditionally was that it was a source that was valid. It was something that we knew to be true information. And I think right, now it had authority. It had authority, absolutely. And I think now, while there's so much helpful learning out on the internet and so much helpful learning in, in technology, some of that information may not be accurate. And so a lot more time is spent converging your learning from multiple sources than there, I think there was historically. But I think learning has definitely changed. Um, it's accelerated. Um, it's made us all much more knowledgeable. But in some ways, it's also made us more isolated in that we're getting our learning again from our screen, our iPad, and our phone and not from that human interaction. Yeah, absolutely. So um, as we kind of wrap up and close here, um, we'd just love to hear uh, a little bit about what, do you, what, what, are you, what are you reading? What are you, what are you seeing out there? What's, what are things that kind of keep you nourished? Is it, is it human, human interaction? Do you find yourself carving out that time to meet with people differently than um, kind of the ways we talked about. We'd just love to hear about kind of how, how Jennifer is, is, uh, is keeping, keeping up with things and staying sharp in things and all of the um, you know, projects, programs, uh, and opportunities you're leading that you might share with listeners as well that might be interested in their, you know, HCM, technology, the interplay and interspace between the two. I, I would say that, you know, as I read the tea leaves, I think the future is two things. It's, it's data science, it's information, and it's a workforce that's mostly contingent. The role of HR will change because the role of the employee will change. The notion that employees, I mean, obviously we, we've moved to virtual workspaces and people work from home and they work from their vacation rentals and, 
And so, so, you know, uh, things have changed from a workspace perspective, but that will continue to evolve as the skills for technology will continue to change and change at a pace that has been much more rapid than I've experienced in my 20 plus years working in IT. So I think a lot of, I think a lot of change, a lot of fluidity. I think a lot of harnessing data science. And I think, you know, an, an HR workforce or an HR department or an HR organization that um, will, can embrace the contingent worker, can embrace the contract worker, I think ultimately will lead to a successful organization. Thank you, Jennifer. That was uh, that was a great discussion. I appreciate your time and uh, look forward to hearing more from you. Great. Thank you, Bill. It was great talking with you, too. I hope you enjoyed that discussion with Jennifer. It was pretty powerful to hear her talk about as the role of the employee changes, the role of HR will need to change as well. And at the center of it is truly human connection. Thanks for listening.